So we are picking up the story in the Gospel of Mark. We've been working through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, where we left off, Jesus had uh, had the Last Supper with the disciples. And after that Last Supper, they sang a hymn together. And then they left, and they're on their way to the Mount of Olives. And while they were traveling to the Mount of Olives, Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. And then he turned to the disciples and he said, in fact, you're all going to fall away. To which Peter said, well, they might, but I won't. I would never, not me, I will never disown you even if I have to die for you. I won't disown you. And then the other disciples all chimed in. Yeah, we won't either. Not us, Lord. In that moment, the disciples weren't lying. They weren't saying something that they knew was was not true. They genuinely believed we are going to be faithful. We have followed you this far. We're going to follow you no matter what happens. We will never disown you. They weren't lying, but what they were doing was being foolish. They're being foolish. They're overestimating their own faith, their own courage, their own resolve. They're being proud. And if you think about it, they're acting in disbelief because Jesus didn't say, you might fall away. Jesus said, you will all fall away. And they have lived with him long enough to know that when Jesus says something's going to happen, it happens. And so Jesus said, you will all fall away, to which they said, no, we won't. Jesus, you're wrong. Jesus didn't continue to engage in a rebuttal with them. He knew that their actions very soon would be their own rebuttal. Pride goes before great destruction. A haughty spirit goes before a great fall. And in just a matter matter of a few hours... The disciples were going to take that great fall. So we're continuing our our series through the Gospel of Mark. We're going to pick it up at verse 31. Uh, Join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word, which tells us there's nothing new under the sun. And so, Lord, we know that what the, the disciples struggled with, we struggle with today as well. Help us hear your voice today and help us respond appropriately. Help us respond in humility and in belief. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in the power of your son's name. Amen. If you have a Bible, Mark chapter 14, and we're going to pick it up at verse 31. Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And I'm going to stop there mid-sentence to make an observation This is not the first time that Jesus has withdrawn from the larger group of disciples with Peter, James, and John. It's happened a couple times. 
The first time it happened, remember, he took them up a high mountain. And there at the top of the mountain, they saw something that they had never seen before. Jesus' appearance transfigured. It changed right in front of them, and they saw him in all of his glory, blindingly white, radiant. And there appeared with Jesus Elijah and Moses. And Jesus and Elijah and Moses are interacting with one another, and Peter said, this is awesome. It's incredible. Let's build a tent so that we can stay here. We don't want this moment to end. That was one occasion where Jesus withdrew with Peter, James, and John. Another occasion was when a man named Jairus' daughter died. And he called Jesus, hoping that Jesus might, might heal his daughter. And Jesus went up to the daughter's bedroom with Peter, James, and John. And there he prayed over this dead girl, and Peter, James, and John saw this dead girl come back to life. This is awesome. It's incredible. And so what do you think they are expecting when they arrive at the Mount of Olives, and Jesus says to the nine, to the eight, sorry, Judas isn't there, to the eight disciples, sit here and pray while Peter, James, and John and I go a little bit further. What are they thinking? I think they're thinking this is going to be awesome. Like we are about to see something that is going to be amazing. Who do you think it'll be this time? Maybe it's going to be Abraham that's going to appear. Maybe King David. This is how it plays out. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. This is not at all what they were expecting. Certainly not what they were hoping. In fact, I, I can't imagine how this computed in their minds. How is it possible that that Jesus, whom we have come to understand, is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one before whom demons flee, go into pigs and jump into the river, the one who stands toe-to-toe -to -toe with Pharisees and doesn't back down, the one who bends over Jairus' daughter and brings her back to life. How is it possible that this same Jesus is now so distressed, and so overwhelmed, and so full of sorrow, and speaking about death, how is it that he is now so vulnerable and so weak? It doesn't compute. I was trying to think of what an, an analogy might be for us, and I was thinking of the, the experience that many of us have as children. When we're little children, we grow up, uh, at least those first year, years, kind of seeing mom and dad through heroic lenses. Like, dad is Superman, and mom is Wonder Woman, and they, can, they seem like they can do all things, and they seem to know everything. And then at some point in your childhood, the heroic lenses come off, and you recognize mom and dad are uh, vulnerable and, and perhaps flawed. And we see it now, what we didn't see before, and for a little child, that can be 
troubling. Because if mom and dad are vulnerable, if they're weak, then maybe I'm a little less secure than what I thought I was. And so here's the disciples. For three years, they've come to this understanding. He is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. Which had to make this experience so incredibly unsettling. If he's God, and we've seen that he is, then why is he so distressed? Why is he so overwhelmed? Why is he so full of sorrow? Why is he so weak? And maybe we could even add the word frightened. Why is he frightened? It's not going to be long before they're going to be asking some other questions. Why doesn't he defend himself? Why does he say nothing? Why does he willingly go along with those who have come to arrest him? Why does he go to the cross? If he is the son of God, all he has to do is say the word and escape all of that. But why is he subjecting himself to such vulnerability and weakness? And so I think for Peter, James, and John, seeing his weakness translated to them as a loss of security. When they saw Jesus up on the, the Mount of Transfiguration, it was intoxicating. The adrenaline was flowing. Let's build tents. We don't want this moment to end. But now, seeing Jesus in all of his distress, they become tired and sleepy. Let's pull the sheets over our head take a long nap, and when we wake up, hopefully this will have never happened. Stay here and keep watch, Jesus directed. And then going a little farther, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if this is possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus' humanity can be troubling for us as well today. In fact, Jesus' humanity has always been troubling to God's people. One of the very first Christian heresies was a heresy called docetism. And it was a heresy in which they believed that Jesus never truly became human. He only had the appearance of being human. And the reason they they believed this was that they too couldn't conceive of how God could be so vulnerable. How could God be distressed? How could God be overwhelmed? How could God sweat drops of blood? And so to reconcile that in their mind, they said he wasn't truly human. He just looked like he was a human. And to that, the church responded, no, he was absolutely 100% human and 100% God. Several of our creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, they speak to us to say, yes, he was 100% human like we are. It's a bit alarming to us to know that, that God was distressed, that Jesus was distressed, that he was sorrowful, that he was anxious. I, I want a God who is Superman, I want a God, like the God in Psalm 2, that uh, the nations conspire and the kings of this world take their stand. And what does God do? He laughs. Like, please. He never, nothing alarms him. 
that, that's the God that I, I want to cling to. But I also want a God who gets me, who understands me. A God who knows what it's like to be me, to, to suffer and to have anxieties and to be distressed and to be overwhelmed and to struggle with temptation and to suffer. And that is also who our God is. The Super Bowl, there was a, uh, two ads that were put out, incredible amount of money spent to communicate this one thing, he gets us. He gets us. He was like us in every single way, yet without sin. He gets us. Our God is the one in the Mount of Transfiguration in all of his divine glory. And our God is the one on the Mount of Olives in his distress and sorrow. It's a God who understands you, and it's a God in whom we can trust. When he says something's going to happen, it happens. One of the dangers in this passage in Jesus' prayer is that we read it much too quickly. Abba, Father, take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. It seems like in nothing but a breath, he goes from anguish to complete acceptance. Like in absolute anguish, full of sorrow, overwhelmed to the point of death. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you, what you will. And nothing but a, a breath. My experience of prayer is that, especially in times of anguish, it's never so evenly tempered and timed. I think in the garden it was much more labored than just a, a sentence that followed another sentence. He's praying and starts and stops and long pauses, and we know this because he goes back and does it three times. Like he is struggling. In your prayers, in our prayers, it's important that we get to not my will be done, but thy will be done. That's where we need to end. But it's also important that in our rush to say the right thing, that, that we're honest with God. That we genuinely come before him with all of our anxieties, all of our burdens, all that is overwhelming to us. So he returned to his disciples, the scripture says, and he found them sleeping Simon, he said to Peter, he calls him Simon, not Peter. Are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body, the flesh, is weak. Simon, you said you would die for me. And I've just asked you to stay awake for one hour and keep watch and pray. And you couldn't do that, Simon. What he's saying is, Peter, the name which means rock, the rock's crumbling, Simon. You couldn't even do this. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. This is how God calls us to deal with our own vulnerabilities, our, our own anxieties. Watch and pray. Watch. Don't be so foolish to think that you're invulnerable to temptation, that you're above it, that, that you would never do that. I would never do that, God. Watch. Be on your guard. Be alert, especially in those areas where you know you're vulnerable. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. And pray. And pray in the spirit 
on all occasions with all kinds of prayers because we know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the principalities of this dark world. Pray. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Maybe you're like me. In my spirit, I, I want to honor God with everything that I have. I want to be completely sold out. I don't want to withhold a single thing from God. If he says go left, I'm going to go left. Go right, go right. Stop, I'll stop. In my spirit, that's who I want to be. But in my flesh, I want to have another Pop-Tart and drink another margarita and look at a picture that I shouldn't be looking at and spend money that I don't have. And I don't want to turn the cheek when somebody hurts me. I want to strike back. And I don't want to give to those who ask. I want to be selfish with my time. I don't always want to love my neighbor in my flesh. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is our dilemma. The Christian life is really not difficult. It's impossible. It is impossible to live the Christian life apart from the Spirit of God in us. Apart from the power of Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit, we will not live the Christian life. We will choose the flesh every single time. And so Jesus says, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Set your minds and your hearts on things above. Set your mind on the spirit, for the spirit is life and peace. But if you set your mind on the flesh, know that it is death. There will be a great fall. Three times this happened. Jesus went and prayed, returned, found them sleeping. And on the third time, he returned and he said this, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. And now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you didn't arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then everyone deserted him and fled. It's interesting, uh, all of the, the gospels have this account, but they add different details and Luke adds uh, the information that this person who withdrew the sword 
and cut off the ear was none other than, than Peter himself. So let's think through Peter. He couldn't stay awake for one hour. He fell asleep, and, and Jesus rebuked him for that. But he wasn't lying that he was willing to die for Jesus. And this seemed to be the moment. And this is where he decided, we're going to take our stand. Here comes Jesus' uh, accusers, the people who are arresting him. Peter rises to his defense, takes out the sword, and cuts off the servant's ear. But instead of being commended for coming to Jesus' aid, for his bravery, for his courage, Jesus rebukes him again. Am I leading a rebellion? I think Peter had to be more confused than ever. Like, what is it that you want from me, Jesus? Like, I sleep and you say, get up, be alert, watch, pray. And now I come to your defense and you rebuke me. What do you want from me? And several thousand years later, I think the people of God are asking the same question. God, what is it that you want from us? How is it that we are to be in this world? How are we to be your disciples? How are we to interact with this world? How, what is it that you want from us? Some people think today that what God wants us to do is to usher in his kingdom by playing according to the rules of this world. Like, defeat the world at its own game. In this world, power wins. Economic power, political power, military power, brute power. Whoever can exert more power, whoever is stronger, wins. And so what do we do? Cut off their ear before they cut off your ear. Strike first. Strike them down. Subdue them. Bend the wrist of this world back far enough that it'll cry uncle. And then God's kingdom will be ushered in. And to this strategy, Jesus says, enough. Am I leading a rebellion? So what about the opposite strategy? Pull the sheets over your head. Go passive. Take a nap and let the world go to hell. And to that, Jesus says, get up. Watch. Pray. What is it you want from us, God? What is the game that we are to be playing? What is the means that God has ordained for us to accomplish his mission in the world? It's not political power. It's not economic power. It's not military power. We are called to a higher power. We are called to resurrection power. What are we called to do? What does he want from us? He wants us to die again and again and again. Don't pick up the sword, Jesus says. Pick up the cross. Pick up the cross and follow me. How are we to engage the world? We're called to love the world. We're called to serve the world. We're called to proclaim the truth to the world. We're called to be a shining light in this dark world. And that means we will die over and over again. God's word says, not by might, not by power, 
but by my spirit, says the Lord. Just from, from appearances, everything looks like it's ending in complete defeat. Jesus has now been handed over to people who have been dreaming about how they might kill him. This is not going to end well. The disciples are all fleeing. From the appearance of things, it looks like Christianity, the flame of Christianity is going to flicker out and die. And yet here we are. Several thousand years later, here we are. Put away the sword, Jesus says to us. Put away the sword, pick up your cross, and follow me. This is what changed the world 2,000 years ago. This is what continues to transform the world today. Join me as we pray. Father, forgive us when we play according to the rules of this world, when we live our lives according to the rules of this world, and, and we abandon your way. Lord, we know that your ways are, are the right way, so help us walk as you did. Lord, help us pick up our cross in, in real, tangible, practical ways. Lord, help us love our neighbor. Help us stand out as shining lights in a world that seems to be getting darker and darker. Lord, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit. Our hope is in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.